Hello, and welcome to the Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Tim Allenball, and tonight I am joined by a host of Tomahawk Nation contributors. We're going to be looking at the state of the program for Florida State, uh, talk about what's going right, what's going wrong, and just what can this program do differently for the remainder of the year. All that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. Again, I'm Tim Allenball, and thanks for welcoming to, or thanks for listening to Seminole Wrap. Uh, I'm going to go around the room and introduce everybody that's here from Tomahawk Nation so that you can familiarize themselves, familiarize yourself with their voices. Uh, first off, our old faithful Juan Montavo. Juan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. Just watched a good episode of The Amazing Race. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things where when you finish last, you're out, you're done for the year. And so it's sort of like Florida State football. Yeah, perfect. So uh, Florida State would have been the, on the first episode going out. Yeah, they would have forgotten how to get to the clue. They would have hit the U-turn, the W-turn, got thrown out. Perfect. Uh, joining us is Coach A.B. Adam Brown himself from Triple Option from all over the website. Adam, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Tim. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing good here. Just uh, surviving a monsoon in Louisville. So, uh, oh, that's coming my way, actually. I, yeah. I was looking at the weather tomorrow. They're called flash flood warnings. I'm, I'm not looking forward to that exactly it's just when it rains and pours in louisville pretty much this whole week yeah evan johnson is joining us from tomahawk nation new to the uh, podcast hasn't been on before uh, evan does a lot of a lot of stuff on the website he's always contributing doing a lot of editing uh, with occasional posts here and there evan how are you doing buddy how long have you been at tomahawk nation i'm doing great i it's got to be over 10 years now uh that i've been writing for the site and this is this is my first podcast ever yeah, well, uh, we're glad to have you, uh, Evan. We we were in a Slack chat together, and you've always got something witty and humorous to say. So I can't wait to uh, hear your feelings about Florida State tonight. Hey, you're a very good liar, Tim. <laughs> uh, and the last voice you'll hear tonight is uh, if you're familiar with FSU basketball at all, you'll know this guy. It's Matt Minnick. Matt, how are you doing, buddy? Hey everybody, uh, glad to be here. Hopefully we can start get the football train back back going towards the, the tournament train, like a basketball, and uh, maybe, maybe we can jump started tonight. Yeah, thanks Matt for being on. Matt is like inside the FSU basketball program better, more than like anyone else on the beat, I feel like. So uh, I'm hoping that he can also bring some some good knowledge tonight on the football. He is a, he is a Florida State encyclopedia. Uh, like you can ask him about pretty much any game ever and he can tell you just unbelievable memories from it. It's, it's ridiculous, Matt. I have to give a shout out to the, to the old man, the pops for that, for a long time season ticket holder and taking me to a, to a lot of heartbreaking losses and, and some fun wins too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, uh, just a little heads up about what we're doing. I've got a series of questions that we're going to go over. Some's going to be targeted at a specific uh, participant tonight and other people can jump in. And some of them are just kind of around the room to get everybody's opinion. Uh, but again, we're just talking about the state of the program. We're about halfway through the season. Uh, Florida State's had a couple of ups, but mostly downs. But uh, let's jump right into it. Let's, let's start with you, Adam. Midway through the season, your general short compact feeling about the program you know it's they're in an interesting state uh tim and i think everybody else will 
somewhat agree with what I'm what I'm going to say here. It's been an absolute roller coaster of emotions this season. Um, and I, I wrote a I wrote a piece today for the for Whiteboard Wednesday. It went up on the site, just kind of talking about the emotions and the roller coaster ride that this season's been, and kind of how fans are at, and the perspective they maybe need to take uh, somewhat as we go through this. You know, it, it's a COVID year. It's a year negative one, which we've talked about on triple option, four verts on Seminole Wrap over and over and over again. Um, th- this is a staff that really got screwed over by everything that's going on in the offseason. And, and it's played out exactly how we kind of thought it was going to with this up and down trajectory that we've been on. Great win against number five, North Carolina, and they come back with an absolutely heartbreaking loss to Louisville where you just were never in the ball game. Um, you know, so the general feeling is, is uh, they call Jordan Young the abusement park. I feel like I'm at the abusement park right now as I, as I go along this ride with Florida State football. That's a great description. Matt, you and I kind of talked about this earlier. You made a good joke, but I don't know if you want to lead with that. But how, how, what's your general feelings about the Florida State football program? It's, it's whatever. That was the – I mean, it's uh, – <laughs> What I told Tim earlier was, you know, that scene in Wedding Crashers after Owen Wilson's already like been caught and broken up and his the answering machine when you call his phone says like, oh, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Like that's that's how it feels. Um, The whole season's whatever, you know, we're not even playing the same number of games. Uh, It's year negative one or, or, you know, whatever y'all been saying. And and it's just it just is going to, it's a long road back is what it is. And I think any expectations this year are setting yourself up to be disappointed because you just, you don't know what you're going to get. And just look, we all said in July, I hope there's football. Well, there's football. So just be happy that there's football. (laughs) Uh, Evan, um, with your, with yourself, with, with all that is Evan, how are you feeling about the program? I'm actually a little bit positive about it. I think more than a lot of other people are. I went into this season not caring about wins and losses. And I know everybody says that, but I really try to focus on it, especially this last week. Um, but I'm seeing signs of improvement. They're at least getting the right number of people on the field, which <laughs> as sad as that is, is an improvement this year. I think if you know last week were the bye week and we're going into Louisville, everybody – feels pretty good about it um all things considered but yeah it's uh it's frustrating to say the least all right one uh finish up this question for us how are you feeling about the program i think i think matt minnick really hit the nail on the head when it's like you hit the voicemail and it's like uh leave a message if you want to sort of thing it's like the opposite of like the willie taggart's uh positive uh you know have a great day if you want to and it's like Man, you don't want to have a great day watching this program. If you're if you're going to watch on Saturdays, it hasn't been fun, um, and it's it's not an enjoyable thing to to watch as a product. It's not an enjoyable thing to analyze. You know, we do we do obviously the analysis on the website and on on the podcast, and not to get too straight into negative town from here, but obviously it's like it's not a fun thing to watch. I mean, the first year I started doing the film review and all that was 2013. And so like the first game I ever did a formal film review of was Jameis Winston going 27 for 29. I think it was against Pitt. We're not exactly getting that right now. (laughs) 
Um, let me just kind of ask one more general question and then we'll do some more specifics and we don't have to get everybody's opinion here, but, um, Evan, you said that you were kind of just happy that we're having a season and a lot of that kind of, you know, relates back to COVID. How do you feel like this staff has handled the COVID era of football? Are they doing a good job? I think that's almost impossible to say. This is unprecedented in college football, of course, but even beyond that, um, are they doing a good job? I I don't I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't know how you can really judge that. I mean, I I think they're showing signs of life. The offense has put up some nice numbers um, in a, in a few games now. Defense has obviously struggled, so you know there's there's a lot of work to be done. But it wasn't like they were starting off with a great team to begin with. So um, I, I'm sorry, that's a not answer, but uh, <laughs> that's all right. I think it's incomplete is the grade I'd give them. Adam, is there, is there anything they could have done differently, you know, with this COVID season, with the limitations they had upon them, just to start it off? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure you can, you know, hindsight's always going to be 2020 with these types of things. And you're going to, and you can sit and say, oh, they could have started Jordan Travis right away, or they could have done this. Or they, you know, they you may, maybe not start James Blackman or you, you, you know, try to shuffle some of these guys out that you feel like are, are, are a drain on the program or a culture, culture issues. You were stuck. I mean, you got three spring practices and you immediately went into COVID and, you know, I think they made the most of it. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of debate about whether they were good teachers through, through uh, zoom or not. I don't know how you can, judge that i don't know how you can really sit down and speculate whether they could teach well through COVID or not because look this is just a different scenario and set up all together you know there's teams that are bringing in new coaches and are in year one we just fired a coach after two and a half years uh or one and a half seasons i'm sorry one and a half seasons this is a completely different ball game we're on three coaches in four years so you can't compare these things this is not apples and oranges here um so to sit and speculate, could they have done something different? I, I really don't think you could play that game. No, that's a great answer and a good point. Like you, you definitely can't compare this program to other first year programs. Let me ask a, a specific question. And Matt, let me start with you here on this one and we'll kind of go around. What's your confidence level in Mike Norvell and, and how he uh, is performing as a coach? I think it's, Good, I guess. Uh, it, you know, kind of like Evan's answer. I mean, how the how he's performing part of the question. Who knows? Uh, I, I don't know what bar there is to compare it against. Uh, I don't recall a time where we've had three coaches in four years. If we did, they certainly weren't coaching in a pandemic when you had no spring. So, who knows how he's coaching? But I, I feel like, uh, look, he he seems to be a guy who at least has a vision. And he seems to be a person who is willing to reflect and, and look at what's going well, what's not going well and make changes. I think we've seen that already. And so th those two things off the top are usually signs of a, of a good leader at least. And um, you know, I, I feel like they, they've, they've tried to bring in people through the portal and, and other ways to kind of get different talent on the field. I, I feel like that's all you could ask at this point. I, I hate to be that guy. And maybe it's because I come from the basketball mindset where um, Ham was given so long, but you really, I mean, got to give him at least two, three years to really think about how's he done, you know? Well, and Matt, I mean, we know that it's a different setup also because, 
Norvell's going to get four years because they can't afford to fire him, right? I mean, hopefully. I mean, how do you put, you know, just you understand, you understand mindsets and that kind of things. Like if you're Mike Norvell, what's your mindset right now? If you know you pretty much have four years because they can't afford to fire you. Yeah, the mindset I think has got to be just keep grinding away, right? I've, you know, don't cut your nose off to spite your face, and and yeah. just if if you truly believe that you won't be fired for the first two three years, if if that has truly been communicated to you, and 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 something that you just like that is not going to happen, then you got to just swallow the, the bad pills now and just keep plugging away, keep plugging away, and and you know eventually feel like you're going to put yourself in a position where you've made progress. You can't try to cheapen out and get something, you know, quick. I mean, even though it's not necessarily something that's like been made explicit to him by boosters or the administration, it's something that I think is pretty much implicit at this point. They just fired a coach who was there for two football seasons. They're paying him for the next, you know, basically three seasons. I think it was like a five-year contract overall. Um, they're paying two defensive coordinators right now. Um, they're paying, uh, you know, still a good chunk of the previous staff's uh, non-coordinator uh, coaches. So you know that they can't afford to fire you. Even if they say, look, you do two wins this year, you're out. It's not going to happen. I mean, so you know that it's an empty threat to be fired. So you don't, you know, you're not going to treat it that way, obviously but you know that, that, that there's no sort of true implicit threat to your job security. So you have to coach with that mindset. And so I think those are all good points, but like, let me just kind of throw this out there. Do you think at any point during this, this coaching short coaching tenure that Mike Norvell has had the thought, like I'm over my head or, or what did I get myself into? Or is it that, you know, those D one coaches are so prideful and so arrogant that, that they would never have that mentality and always think they're going to get through it. Evan, do you have any thoughts there? I, I think that if you're at that level, you have to think you're going to get through it. I think what he does have to worry about, though, is losing fans and boosters, which is something Willie lost real quickly. Um, I think that he's gone out there and set expectations better than Willie, though. And I think that's going to help him out in the long term. Um, but yeah, he, you have to believe you can do it because if you don't, you how did you get there? There's no way. That's a great point. Uh, so I, I feel like overall the the program itself, and I know there's some there's some people on Twitter that, that don't feel this way, but I, I think if you took a poll, you would feel that the majority of the fan base supports Norvell. They think he's on the right track. They're just having setbacks. But I think if you took that poll about the staff as a whole it would be all over the place. Juan, what's your confidence level in the staff as a whole? And if you had this, if you had to call out a few coaches, what would, what coaches would it be? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid that, that uh, the last part of that question completely. Um, you know, just cause we, we do know that there are coaches that do get wind of these sort of things. And it's, as you know, covering the covering the website for Tomahawk Nation, it's not good for Perry or Brett or any of the other guys who are dealing with it day in day out for us to directly call out individual coaches. So, I've been head that part off at the pass. Uh, that being said, I have a general solid confidence level about 
most of the coaches on the staff. I mean, there are some areas where I think there's improvements to be made and, you know, you can discuss individual coaches without calling them out. Um, one that, you know, we've had this, this conversation in the Slack chat and in, you know, private chats over the years. Um, obviously Odell did a, did, did a nice job holding the program together twice as interim head coach. Um, when Jimbo dropped the Christmas tree and went to college station and then when Willie Taggart was fired and he did a nice job sort of holding things together in Tallahassee. Um, that said, you know, they're one of the biggest areas of disappointment in this, in this season has definitely been the defensive tackle unit. And he went from coaching all the defensive line to going back to just his forte, the defensive tackles. And they're not doing that great. I mean, you know, Marvin Wilson has had a couple of good games. Corey Durden has has not been what you were expecting him to be. Fabian Lovett, not sure where he's been the last couple of games because he's a guy who was who's doing really well the first couple of games. So um and on top of that, uh we we have seen, you know, documented uh for lack of a better way to put this, documented interviews with recruits and, and some texts that we've heard from staffs and stuff like that that Odell has talked about retiring before this, this season came up. And that's one of those things that just the the talk of a coach retiring itself can be toxic because it can be recruited against negatively. So, uh, yeah, that's the individual one that I suppose I'm not talking negatively about, but I'm discussing and going around the dancing around the issue. Sure. Uh, Matt, what about you? How are you feeling about this staff? And, and if you don't want to call out a, a particular coach in, in particular, that's fine. But, you know, if there's a unit you feel like is really struggling. I'll tell you the unit that's struggling for me. And that's the wide receivers. Uh, well, okay. There's a, lot of units, there's a lot of units that are struggling, uh, but that it, some units are struggling because you feel like it's maybe lack of, uh, talent or maybe it's just we don't have a lot of depth or something but I feel like you know the wide receivers should have at least they have one NFL talent he's been hurt now for a couple games but they have one guy who at least thinks people think he might be an NFL talent uh, and they have pretty solid depth all around and and the thing is is that the mistakes they're making they're not they're not youthful mistakes I think I a lot of fans are okay with youthful mistakes when you think hey these are guys that are learning on the job they didn't have a spring you gotta get them out there and see what you got but catching a football isn't a youthful mistake that is like your name is the wide receiver you're supposed to be able to receive the football so uh that though and then and then the blocking i think there's been several instances where running backs have maybe had you know could have been 50 yard gains that turned into 10 or 12 yard gains because of some blocking issues downfield so I think the wide receivers, at least as a unit, have been disappointing. As when we talk about the whole coaching staff, though, it's it's hard. You know, if you're gonna use the same the same logic of, I don't know, it's it's COVID. Who knows how much practice they had? Who knows how many guys had to quarantine during the summer? Uh, you know, what was able to be put in? I, I feel like that same logic has to be at least somewhat extended to the rest of the staff when you're talking about X's and O's. And in an ironic way might actually have less pressure on a guy like Norvell or some of the others because the whole year is sort of just like, well, who knows? So maybe there's less pressure. 
you know, actually, that's one of the things that, that 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 led me to the Ovel, Odell part was basically, okay, this is a known quantity. This is a guy we've known for a long time as a coach. So it's easier to look at his unit and see the, for lack of a better way to put, for lack of a better way to put it, the failures and say, okay, that's someone who's worth discussing. Adam, I know my, our, our Adam Fuller's got a lot of, of negative press lately, for lack of better words, from the fan base. Do you agree with any of that? I know you've been kind of a defender, but the last game in particular was pretty frustrating to you. Like, do you still have confidence in what Adam Fuller's doing? I mean, I do. I have confidence in what Adam Fuller's going to be long-term. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm at a point where it's hard to, you know, it's obviously it's becoming, becoming more and more hard to defend as the product continues to look abysmal on the field. Um but you know, Matt's Matt's addressed it with it being a COVID year, and you just don't know how much they've been able to do. I can tell you that it's quite apparent the buy-in on that side of the ball just isn't there. And what what bothers me with the defense is they make simple mistakes that you know these guys can teach because if they couldn't teach it, they wouldn't be coaching Division One football. I mean, they wouldn't be coaching Pop Warner football. Uh, you know, simple things like guys uh, clearing boot bootlegs from with quarterback and and angles. These are things that you've been teaching for years and years and years. And it's just look, it's easy for fans to say, well, you know, it's obviously not getting taught. Well, no, look, they've been teaching that for years. They know how to teach that. That that's basic fundamental junk that they wouldn't be at the level they are if they couldn't teach it. So it 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 just tells me that those guys on the defensive side or some players on the defensive side of the ball don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it, which then leads me back to, you know, okay, so why aren't they buying into what those position coaches are talking about? What's the issue there? Um, you know, as far as Adam Fuller though, I think that the, I think that he's, he's going to be fine. I just think he's lost. I mean, I don't think the guy has any answers. You can't, you can't run a four man front because you can't rush the ends. You can't blitz because you can't man cover on the back end. I mean, you just you're playing with two hands tied behind your back and instead of having two in front of you there's nothing in sync they don't they cannot work as a unit they can't exist as a unit because guys are freelancing it's just that you've had a ton of injuries on that side of the ball it's impossible to say okay this guy needs to be fired or they need to start rethinking the defensive side of the ball because he blitzed on second and 20 whatever and they gave up a 50-yard touchdown we were complaining when they didn't blitz. Now we're complaining when they do blitz. Like, can we just set the goalpost, leave them there, and let's just see what the heck happens and judge them at the end of the year and and really kind of judge again, like we're going to judge Mike Norvell over the course of a tenure here because we just still have no clue what, what he is as a coach at Florida State. Evan, let me kind of flip it around on, on you. What do you feel like as a, as a, as a unit – is one of the most improved you've seen under under Norvell's leadership. I want to say offensive line, uh, but I don't know how much that has to do with Jordan Travis and the system they're running and how much it has to do with the actual offensive line. But uh, at the same time, they're not the worst unit on the team. So they're either improved or the rest of the team has gotten worse. Uh, it's kind of difficult to tell. I would also say that uh, running back is not, I can't say they're improved, but they've looked well um, in quarterback, obviously going to Travis and the system that they've implemented with him has been um, uh, pretty solid, but I think I have to go with the offensive line. Yeah. OL is not even the worst unit on the offense. So <laughs> when's the last time you could say that, Matt? 
<laughs> I mean, who would who would have thought that the offensive line would be p- playing better than the defensive line? That's I mean, crazy. the offensive line may not be the second worst unit on the offense right now. <laughs> no, I mean, tight end and wide receiver, hands down, are probably your worst units, right? That's well, crazy. I mean, your your yeah. single tight end is probably a better overall player than the other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Preston Daniel has been nice, but he's a walk-on guy. You don't expect him to be, you know, Rob Gronkowski or anything. Well, well uh, can I throw it out to you guys, though? Like, and whoever wants to jump on this can answer, like, do you think Adam Fuller's in over his head? I mean, just, just on based on what you've seen. I mean, take the COVID out of it. Just well, what you've seen on the field. Like, have you stopped and said, man, they need to fire that guy? I don't think I've said you need to fire that guy. I think, I think there's a slight reason for concern. And, and I think it's kind of what you said, where at times the, the defense as a whole looks completely lost. And, and yes, I know that that's primarily, or our thoughts, it's primarily on the players, but at some point, do you look at the, do you look at him as a defensive coordinator and, and just think what is going on in these practices what's going on in these film room sessions or whatever that's leading to these players being so completely out of, out of every play, it seems like on the field. Evan, I have a thought, but I want you to go first on this. I think they're trying to do install and technique and game plan for the, this week's opponent all at once. And because they didn't have time to do that, Um, you know, uh, uh, ABS, if if he's if Fuller's in over his head, would Nick Saban be in over his head with this team? I, uh, there's just they do nothing well. I, how can you game plan and and do everything that you need to do as a coach when everything's just a roll of the dice? So I agree with that. And then there, I have sort of two minds about this. Like, so obviously they're not playing at a level that they should be given the the talent that they have there. And there are obvious deficiencies that we've talked about. I'd nauseam on this podcast on triple option, Adam, uh, Trey and, and Kevin have talked about it uh, on four verticals. You know, we've, we've talked about it quite a bit. You know, the boundary side of the ball is not a good side of the ball, but what's frustrating to me is, you know, you came out of this game and I forget which player said this, you know, because it's off the top of my head at this point, but that there was too much freelancing. So, we're at game six and you had a game that was a downright disaster from a defensive perspective. And you have guys who are admittedly freelancing, you know, from players on the teams saying that that's not conjecture. That's players on that side of the ball saying their teammates are freelancing. So at this point, you're my, my question is, okay, I, I, I don't have any issues with what he's trying to do, how he's trying to keep the defense to work together because they have holes, they have these issues. But where I see a problem so far, and it may not yet be a problem, and it may prove to be a problem, is you're having freelancing issues this far into the season. That doesn't indicate to me that you're seeing a significant amount of buy-in with this part of the coaching staff. And obviously Adam Fuller is that defense coordinator. Adam, you've coordinated, you know, on at the high school level, obviously an offensive side of the ball. When you hear about players freelancing like this, what do you think? 
Um, you know, again, it's it's weird because your three coaches. And it's a weird year, of course. Your three coaches. Well, the biggest thing is your three coaches. Four years. You just got done with a with a coach that was everybody's best friend and everybody loved uh, and, and held nobody accountable. And a defensive staff that supposedly everybody liked. I mean, from everything we've been told, they they liked Harlan Barnett. They believed in what he was doing. Um, they liked Jim Levitt when he came in for a short stint. Uh, so I think that Adam Fuller was really set up to kind of fail. And I don't know. I look, look when players don't buy in, that's a player issue, in my opinion. Um, you make that conscious choice. Now, obviously, as a coach, you're presenting yourself and you're presenting your message, and 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 uh, you know what you want to see done again, I go back to like Adam Fuller hasn't gotten to this point because he can't teach. Um, he hasn't gotten to this point because he doesn't know how to build relationships. Uh, so I, I like to believe in my heart of hearts that he knows how to go out there and try to get through to these guys. I just, just think that they don't want to hear it anymore. They've been told we're going to do this and this is going to work. They've been told by Raymond Woody. They've been told by, um, Jim Levitt, they've been told by Harlan Barnett, they've been told by Odell, they've been told by Mark Snyder. I mean, there's a slew of guys that they've all been told, look, do it this way because this is how it needs to be done and this is the way to do it right. And it didn't work. Now they've got another group in here. Hey, do it this way. This is what it needs to look like. And would do, you know, this is how it's done right. And it hasn't worked. So at some point, I mean, these guys are just looking around saying, like, these dudes don't know what they're talking about. They, this is just another group of frauds coming in here trying to tell me what to do and they don't know what they're talking about. And I go back to, human behavior is all about being consistent and there's been nothing consistent with this program and it's been an up and down roller coaster and when you ride that roller coaster like i mean you're just gonna get this kind of nonsense and i mean i, I just continue to go back to uh, i think that is more of a behavior uh, issue for this team than it is a coaching issue i think evan wanted to jump in yeah i i think you I think the last part is the the concerning part to me, and I think you're right. I think it is a behavior issue. I think you you saw what they did against the first half against North Carolina. They were really good. They did what they were supposed to. They were where they were supposed to, but these players don't know how to handle winning. They've only known losing. So, hey, things work, and you know they're probably out in front of their skis now going into Louisville, and and they they're not focusing on what they need to focus. They're trying to be Josh Kando making that interception, that pick six um, and make the big play. And that's not how defenses work. So, so Matt, you're, you're like the FSU basketball expert, you and Rogner over there uh, at Florida state, you know, Hamilton went through some bad years at Florida state and the program struggled under his leadership but did you ever feel like there was a black cloud over the program as it kind of feels around Florida state right now? I, I, I said this to Adam on a chat the other day. I just feel like even though Norvell is more organized, the program is still in so much disarray. Did it ever feel like that uh, uh, under the basketball program? I'd say worse. Now it might not have been when Hamilton was there, uh, it was probably the the middle to end of the Robinson Steve Robinson era, uh, who who's a, a really nice guy, and and usually when you start off a description of a coach like that, that's not <laughs> not the best thing. But let, let me let me tell you a little story. So uh, I'll try to make this brief. Probably circa two thousand and two, maybe um, I was we were awful at 
at basketball. I, awful as in like we lost to American at home, not America. We weren't playing the dream team, American, the university uh, and Western Carolina at home. Uh, and so I, I used to go to a lot of games then as a fan with a couple buddies. Um, and back then there were so few fans in the stands that you, know, you could actually stand sort of on the court underneath the basket, like where the cheerleaders and dance teams sort of do their thing. You could just stand right there as a fan. And uh, one of the games uh, I just, the, we were getting crushed by Wake Forest and Skip Prosser, rest in peace, was um, yelling about something, even though they were winning by a lot. And, uh, and I said something about either me or a buddy said something to about Skip Prosser to get off the court and the ref heard it. And, uh, he like got mad at us, stopped the game, told us it was either going to be a technical or we had to leave or whatever. And the, and the FSU basketball facility folks came down and were like, Hey, we can't, we, they actually gave us a hat and a different shirt to go and stand on the other basket. And, and I share that story to say that there were so few fans in the stands that number one, referees are just talk like hearing the fans outright and going over and pointing at them at who said it. And number two, the university didn't want to lose one of the like 712 fans that were there and gave them a hat and a shirt to go and stand on the other side so that they could yell. Um, and so it was beyond a dark cloud i feel like there was a point where there was a question of should we continue having a basketball team or a basketball program um and and when hamilton came in it it did not get much better right away but but the thing is is that there was such apathy towards the program that hamilton was allowed the opportunity to do exactly kind of what we talked about at the beginning which is say hey i'm not going to be fired they, they just, they just lost to American at home. Like it doesn't even matter. Right. If I do, if I graduate kids, I won't be fired for the first few years. We're not talking about, you know, maybe three, four years ago before his latest run when people were upset. And so he was really allowed to go out there and get the kind of guys who didn't just fit his system for basketball, but there is not a question about whether they're going to buy in. If they don't buy in during the recruitment, they're not on the team. Right. There was no question of whether this person was going to execute the system that was, they were asked to being run. And when they did, uh, they Von Wafer were removed from the team. Best player on the team, best scorer, sat down for the rest of the hat. He didn't play his final 10 or 12 games and told leave after the season. So I think it really takes that level of patience that level of vision and that level of saying, I'm not going to sacrifice what I know to be true for the success just to have a short-term win. Uh, and, and if Norvell can do that, I, I imagine that, I mean, that's how you drag a team out of, of this black, black cloud. Matt, do you think something like that is, is as feasible in a sport like football where the scholarship, you know, numbers are so much larger? That's a great question. Uh, you know, it certainly would help if you can get a guy like LaMarcus Joyner or some of those, you know, to have that player accountability where players are holding other players accountable. Uh, that's, that's far more powerful than some old guy yelling. Uh, so I think, you know, you've got to, if, if, if I were coaching the football team uh, or if I was one of the coaches on the football team, I, I would have to go out and identify 
someone like that who who is not only going to do what they I asked them to do on the field, but also be that vocal and an off field leader that just commands respect, not demands it, but commands it, and and start to really build a new culture around that. And and the other thing is, pray that I'm given the patience and the time because it's not a one year yeah. fix; it's a yeah. three four so, year fix. So here's a question following up on that. This is probably more for Adam and Tim who follow recruiting pretty heavily. Um, who, who is that guy either in the program as a young guy or who is, you know, committed or going to be committed who you think can be sort of, you know, let's put it this way. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner obviously was a game changer for the program as a recruit, as a player. Um, you know, he, him and him and Jeff Luke came in at the 2010 class and changed that class and it changed the culture, changed everything about the program. Four years later, they won a national title. Watched Demarcus Joyner make tackles at the NFL two nights ago, or whatever it was. Who on the roster? Who in that next 2021, 2022 class? Who's going to be that guy? Is there that guy? Yeah, I mean, you're hoping that Luke Altmaier is going to be that guy for you in 21. Uh, you just lost Brandon Jennings to Michigan. I think that there was some thought process that he might be one of those guys, um, you know, and he, he, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff working against Norvell kind of behind the scenes with, with some former players and yeah, it's just, it's getting ugly for him. Unfortunately, uh, guys that just don't believe in what he wants to do. Um, oh, we can ignore Antonio Cromartie. Most uh, importantly, I'm talking about Antonio Cromartie, unfortunately, <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Brandon Jennings is one of those guys, and unfortunately he's go, he's committed to Michigan now. I don't see him coming back to the class. You're hoping Luke Altmaier. Um, uh, you know, with the transfer portal being what it is now, I think it's – I think it really is a different game, uh, you know, anymore. And especially, be, again, we could keep going back to it being a COVID year. Like, you haven't gotten to go out and really evaluate any of these kids. You're basing a lot of it on what you're able to evaluate with them as juniors. Um, when you were at Memphis and so who knows if you got to see a lot of them um, so you know you're, you're you're taking a lot of risks on the 21 class uh, and you're probably going to lean heavily on the transport portal because you know what those dudes can do on tape um, 22 class you know I, I think you're looking at a Marvin's jo Marvin Jones Jr. you're looking at a Julian Armella those kinds of guys I, I keep seeing Marvin Jones and I've seen Corey Simon. I've seen a couple of other guys that are former players keep talking about Florida state needs to find guys that love football. And I really think that that's well said. I really think that they are onto something like, I think Matt would probably say that things started changing for Florida state basketball when they got guys in not only who fit the system, but that loved playing basketball and, and wanted to be in the gym working hard at it. And they wanted to do everything they could about, or, or you know, around the game of basketball because they just cared about it so much. And I think that's really where it's going to start with football is when you start getting guys that they want to eat, sleep and breathe football, uh, you know, 24 uh, seven. I know Tim wants to jump in here. So I'll let Tim jump in. Before Tim uh, jumps in, I apologize. Uh, sorry, Tim. <laughs> uh, you, we talk, you talk primarily about recruits. Is there anyone on the roster that you see? And Tim's going to obviously talk about this as well. But is there anyone on the roster currently you see that could be that guy who is the, you know, the Marcus Joyner, like Matt said, who can sort of shift the mentality in the program? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to start with DJ Lundy. You've got to start with Steven Dix, those two on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Sidney Williams, who I who played quite a bit last weekend against Louisville, um, who's a, you know, was an unheralded sure. safety prospect, but was able to get in there and start, you know, he's he's played more than I think people probably thought he would. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, I think you got to look at Chubba Purdy. I think you got to look at the Ken Trump Poitier. You know, those guys, Maurice Smith, who's a, who's a young sophomore, uh, who's becoming a staple on the O-line. I mean, it's is it even possible. I mean, from a philosophical question, is it even possible to, let's say you're a freshman or a sophomore on this team. Yeah. The, the older classmen are checked out. They, yeah. The same the same reason, look, y'all said it, Mike Norvell can't be fired, right? Well, these guys can't be benched or kicked, like, right? right, <laughs> they, right. they know that. So they've checked out. And the, and the young guy, I mean, I almost feel like to ask, it's just not going to be possible for a guy that's currently on the team. It's got to be some, regardless of talent level, I'm not even talking about talent level. I'm sure there's some talent guys on the team. I hope it's got to be someone else that comes in new that is able to say like, it's a new day. And that guy, guy's got to be a dude too. It's got to be a dude. Oh yeah. That's where I think the portal is going to be the big factor. I'm sorry, Tim. I know you're, you're, I'm going to get you in here. That's why I think the portal though is the biggest is going to be the big thing, or maybe a Juco kid. Like they, they've got to go find a, they've got to go find an alpha male like that's going to come in here and put his, put his foot down with some of this BS. I'd like to thank Adam for taking every single thing I wanted to say. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, well, and, and thank me for interrupting you like yeah, three yeah. times before that. Yeah. The thing about LaMarcus Joyner and, and why he made such an impact is because he was a stud and, and yep. right now, none of the young guys that they had in, in probably the last two classes are studs. Maybe Demory Tate. You know, but unfortunately, there was the eligibility issue. If Chuba had came in healthy and won the starting job and been a stud outright, I think he would have had a chance to at least impact the offense from that perspective. Because you think about Jameis and how he, when he was able to finally play, that that team just gravitate gravitated to him. I don't think Chuba has that personality, but winning does cure a lot of a lot of problems. And if he would have came in and won that job and just and not got hurt and like led them to that win against a win against Georgia Tech um, and a respectable showing against Miami you know I, I think there's a little more confidence going there but I don't think there's anybody on the team right now I would say Steven Dix and DJ Lundy thank you Adam um, but even those guys as as Matt said they're not they're not dudes they're not studs they're not monsters now they have potential to be really good in a couple years but they're not they're not there yet and i don't think currently in the 2021 class that there's anybody maybe except for altmeyer but then altmeyer's got to come in and unseat everybody in front of him in front of him right away i think if you're going to have that impact it's going to be in 2022 it's going to be marvin jones jr it's going to be julian armella it's going to be those guys that are going to make a decision to come to a bad program like if you think about Joiner, you think about Luke, they made a decision to come to a bad program, even though they knew it could hurt their chances. And, and until you start getting those high four stars, five star kids, like I tell you who could be the guy, it could be 2022 Travis Hunter. Mm-hmm. That kid is a monster. And when he steps on the field, he thinks he's better than every single person there. And he's not too far off from that. You need someone like that. You need someone who has the mentality of, of a Derwin James or Jameis Winston or Dalvin Cook, someone like that yep. who not only 
has the ability, but just says, screw it. I'm going to do it. Like you guys are going to either play with me or whatever. I'm going to do what I'm doing. Right. And or I'm going to be like Jalen Ramsey and I'm going to get in your face and I'm going to tell you that you suck. Right. Yeah. Or, or even just be like LaMarcus Joyner and murder one of your teammates in practice, like <laughs> Willie Halstead. Yeah. Um, no, but Wait, I mean, which we joke about, but that's true, right? Like the yeah. players have to be afraid. They were afraid if they showed up after Tony Douglas showed up to the workout facility, right? Like you've got to be able to get to the point where they don't want to let down Trent Forrest. You know, that's yep. the culture that it has to be developed. That was one of the biggest things that I think Jameis Winston brought to the program, you know, and not to harp on him in particular, but like dudes went to seven on seven. Like they, they showed up, you know, Rashad Green, uh, Kenny Shaw, Greg Den before he was dismissed. Uh, all those guys, Kelvin Benjamin, I mean, they all showed up. Kelvin Benjamin had a, you know, not a bad year in 2012, but he was a very inconsistent player. I mean, Rodney Smith got most of the snaps over him. And then that next summer, those dudes, they went to seven on seven every day. And like, sure, it's not a requirement, but it's one of those things that like, when you have a teammate who's holding you accountable to be there, to show up for workouts, to show up for seven on seven in the summertime, that makes a huge difference. Evan, you, you, you look like you were about to make a point here. I don't think he can be to the same degree as this as the guys that you're talking about, but I still think there's something with Jordan Travis. I know he's going to struggle with injuries, and that's going to limit um, the effect that he can have on the team. But, you know, he came in at, in Jacksonville State and for at least two games, and even at Louisville, he didn't look bad. It was a different feeling on that offense. There, there was something that was different about that, and maybe that's just his skill set that he's able to to go out there and produce a little bit. But you saw something again. I'm not going to compare him to a Lamarcus Joyner or anything, anybody like that. But I think there's there's something that maybe can get you to uh, that 2022 class or something like that. Evan, let me stick with you for a minute, and I, I do totally agree with you about Jordan Travis. It, it's almost like he has that personality that brings the players up, at least positivity. Um, but I know you've got a hard stop where you've got to jump off here in just a minute. Um, you mentioned to a couple of us in our Slack chat that we have that you didn't watch the UofL game, that I think you went out and did like planting flowers or something goofy like that. Um, do you think this fan base has enough patience to kind of wait for that outline that Matt laid out that um, – that they have enough patience to wait for uh, Norvell to get his players in there and to build it out. Um, will this fan base wait? Will you wait? So you've gotten to the reason why I'm more optimistic about this team than everybody else is, is because I missed that uh, poor excuse for a game. I was not planting flowers. I was at a concert at a botanical garden, sir. How dare you? Um, what sort of concert? Uh, it was a bluegrass band, local bluegrass nice. band. Nice. Uh, it was a good time, Oktoberfest. Um, does the fan base have the patience to wait? Oh, absolutely not. This is Florida State. That's not <laughs> That's not how that works. Do I? Yes, but I don't know that it matters. I don't know that, like we said before, I don't think Norvell's really going anywhere. So 
the fan base is just going to have to suck it up and look for signs of growth. Um, it's not going to come all at once. It's not going to be um, one of those scenarios where somebody comes in and takes over a bad team and all of a sudden they're great. It, there's not a baseline of competency along this team for that to occur. Um, so it doesn't matter ultimately <laughs> what you got one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really think you make a great point. There's, you know, Norvell obviously is going to be here for a while. Um, you know, there's no way that they could afford to fire nor, you know, they, they can't afford to fire Adam Fuller. They can't afford to fire Kevin Dillingham at this point. So at this point, the most important thing, I think if you're a Florida state fan, you're looking at this team, you're looking at, you know, the disappointments of the Louisville game, the, the Georgia tech game, and then, of course, obviously the upside of the second half of Notre Dame and the, the UNC win. You've got to sit here and look for progress. I mean, if you're you're not going to have a very good time if you're looking for this team to become Florida State, you know, 90s type level team overnight. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's not going to happen this year. It's not going to happen next year. Uh, 2022 may not even be that good. I mean, to, to the level of competing for a championship in, in the Clemson era, I mean, they've got, you know, obviously Trevor's going to graduate. You've got DJ ukulele out there and, you know, he's, he's going to, he's probably going to be pretty good, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, I think you have to look for, okay, what are the measurable signs of progress? And I think that's something that we need to talk about here is, and, and I'll start with Adam on this. Like, what do you think, Florida State fans should be looking for from this team on the field as measurable signs of progress? Oh, man. Um, That's a loaded question, I know. It is because, I mean, I just don't think there's some things that are going to improve. Like, I don't think the defense is getting any better. I think it is what it is for the remainder of the year because I just don't think those guys – I just think there's too many players on that side of the ball that want to do their own thing and they want to be their own person. And I don't think they want to buy in. Um, They're looking, they're one foot out the door, ready to go. Um, So I I think what I want to see is continue to play and bring along young guys. I want to see growth out of those young guys. I want to see them uh, making progress uh, football intelligence wise, uh, you know, like Steven Dix, I want to see him start being able to diagnose a little bit more. Uh, improve in that area. I want to see DJ Lundy continue to improve his physicality uh, and, and continue to uh, to just grow as a linebacker. Um, you know, Sidney Williams, just a lot of those guys. Um, so I think I'm looking for progress out of the young guys. I want to continue to see the development out of development out of the offense. You know, as limited as they are with Jordan in there, you know, getting trouble getting trouble some playing time. And I I just want to see Mike staying consistent. Like. He's been all about the standard thus far. I don't want to see him waver from that because he feels like, oh, uh, the fans are turning on me or, oh, there's some you know pressure from inside the organization. I want to see Mike continue to, to build what he sees as, as a uh, winning culture and a winning program. Um, if he starts to waver, then I'm going to start to question, okay, you know, I, I said a while back that if he continued to play James Blackman, I, it was a red flag for me because it was clear that he wasn't thinking long-term. He was trying to chase wins in the short term and i don't think he can do that i don't think he can be chasing wins i think he needs to be chasing uh found a foundation for what he wants to be long term um 
So it's just going to be incremental things that we need to see. It's not going to be wins and losses. It really is just going to be baby steps off the field that, that really we're not even going to know are taking place. So before I go to you, Matt, Juan and Evan both have to jump on, uh, jump off here. They had a hard stop. Uh, Juan, closing, closing thought from you. Actually, I I don't have a hard stop here. So um, uh, I'm good to go for a little bit, but. All right, Evan, it's just you, man. Anything you want to leave us with? Um, I thank you for, for having me on. I hope I didn't, I hope I didn't disappoint. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's, I think that progress is not linear. I think there is progress. I think you saw it, it in the second half of Notre Dame. I think you saw it with UNC. Hopefully we see it against Pitt, um, in, in a couple of weeks or in a week and a half now. Um, obviously you didn't see it against Louisville, but maybe that's just a step, the one step back to the two step forwards. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Evan, thanks so much for being on with us. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Right. Matt, um, you're, you're a season ticket holder. You're at the Florida State games pretty much every time they're there. You don't really miss. Um, this year, I've got to miss three. Oh, Although no. I may, I may try to find a way to get to uh, the Pitt game with it. You know, they made us pick these packs or whatever. But anyway, right. sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no. Um, Do you feel like, so we kind of talked about the patience of the fan base. We kind of talked about, you know, the buy-in from the players. Like, is it noticeable in the stadium uh, that this team at times feels lost, that the coaching staff is, is throwing darts at times? Like, is, is it palpable? Yes. I I definitely think it's noticeable (laughs) that the players feel, it's what Adam said. They feel like, okay, we listened to the first guy that he said things that didn't work. We listened to the second guy he said things that didn't work. Now this is the third, maybe fourth guy. It's, it's like when you've had three or four, you know, teachers in a short amount of time, right. Or the substitute teachers and shuffling in and out. Somebody's on maternity leave and stuff. So, and, and you don't, you never get that consistency. I, I think that's pretty palpable. I mean, you can see guys right on the sidelines sort of arguing with each other or body language. You can just see the body language. I don't know that there's a sense that to, to me to say that the coaches are in over their head would say, would suggest that they are, they are not X and O or intellectually capable enough of figuring it out. I, I don't know that that it, I mean, it's been five weeks, six games. I don't know that that's something that, that there's a sense of in the stadium. I think there's a sense of frustration. I think there's a sense of, I just drove from wherever Orlando or, or Daytona or wherever, which I, it's nice for me. I drive from Midtown Tallahassee, but um, that certainly exists. And you might even be getting in the stands, even some sense of apathy uh, because at least at the last game, you know, when UNC was starting to make their comeback, there was sort of that like, well, whatever, knew it was too good to be true. Here we go again. But the sen- to suggest that there's just this, like they can't figure it out. I don't know about that. That might be a step too far. It's more of just like, why is it taking, why has this been a four year thing? Like, why is this keep happening to us? That makes sense. Um, Juan, I'll let you go and then I'll go a question. Yeah. So I think that's, that's an interesting point you bring up, Matt. I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've, I have a few friends down here who were big Florida state guys, guys who went to school in the nineties and, you know, guys who, you know, were around in, in Tallahassee for some of the best times. And they're obviously frustrated with everything that's going on. And they're not going to Tallahassee 
you know, obviously this year's an especially unique year that people aren't going to Tallahassee for that reason, but as well, you know, the last couple of years, like, I mean, shoot, I've talked about taking, taking customers of mine to Florida state games. And right now it's not like a product I really want to take them to. And they don't, they're not that interested in going to. So, I mean, I think, you know, that apathy you're talking about, it makes a difference in the sense that like, there's gotta be a pretty good chunk of the folks in the stands who, you know, you live there and you go there because you can drive, you know, let's say 20 minutes, park, go to the game, go home. And in a normal year, it'd be a two night minimum at the hotel and you've got to, you know, bring your whole family up and all that sort of thing. But it's, it's. I, I think I go back. I think Norvell to your point, Juan, it, I think it's a blessing in disguise that it's not a normal year. I really do. I think that if this was happening in a normal year and the results were the same, which they very well could have been, right? I mean, like Evan sure. said, progress isn't linear. Uh, I think that you would be seeing 50K fans in the seats and all uh, a feeling of like, here we go again. And, and he'd be having to answer those questions on top of the questions that he's already answering, uh, which, which right now he doesn't have to answer those. There's only, there's only 20,000 people that can go. And I'll be honest, I had an extra ticket to the last game. I couldn't give it away. I asked five or six different people for free. Couldn't give it away. Folks just were like, ah, eh, you know, I think I'm going to sit this one out. Now I had them texting me during the game, wishing they had gone when we were up 31 to seven. Uh, but you know, <laughs> I, I legit could not give it away. So, Adam, you kind of you kind of hinted at this earlier. Like you you kind of really put it on the players and not the staff. But you know, if you if you read the message boards, if you check out Twitter and different things like that, that's not always the opinion. There's a lot of people that are blaming these coaches. So I, I kind of think I know your answer because you kind of gave it away earlier. But do you place the blame on the players' feet, or is, or do you put any on the coaches? Well, I mean, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Uh, that, that's the reality of this situation. Uh, the, there's obviously things that the coaches could be doing better. Um, I wish we were at practice so that I could speak to a little bit more, uh, you know, as far as, you know, some of the teaching, you know, are they teaching it the best way possible? Are they teaching it to multi, you know, multi-tier, multi-level or type, type learners? Are they able to get, are they able to get through to some of these guys in different ways that you need to be able to do as a, as a teacher? Um, you know, so I, we can't speak to those things, but I, I, it's clear that's, that they're not, it's clear that something's wrong on the coaching side of it, as far as delivering the message and delivering, delivering certain things to these players. Um, but I, I go back to like, when you have an Emmett Rice calling guys out for doing their own thing, they're doing their own thing by choice. Like they're, they're regressing back for a reason and it's because they don't want to believe. I mean, and, and I said it earlier because it's the, you know, three, four coaches, three or three coaches in four years, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Like these are kids at some point, like it, their kids growing up in a generation where trust issues are a big or an actual thing. Like you not used to be, used to be something nobody ever talked about, but they have trust issues. Watch the news. Like, come on. Um, so, and I don't want to get all philosophical and, and news and political, but just turn the news on and, and, and try to take a second to think about what, what these kids go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I, I got you one second one. 
like it's just it's just human nature and it's just human behavior for them to not want to believe so like even while i say it's on the players like it's not even on them it's just on the process that this whole program has been riding on for four years and it's not going to change until these guys are gone right wrong or indifferent i'm not blaming them but it's just not going to change until those guys get out of here and we get a fresh cycle of players in here that can have some consistency. I blame it on consistency and I blame it on, I blame it on the, the people that hired Willie Taggart, the people that fired Willie Taggart, the Jimbo Fisher, who was bailing it, you know, before the year ever started. I blame it on all of that more than I blame it on the players that are on the roster right now. And the coaches that are coaching this roster right now, because these guys just had no control. I think you bring up a really good point there. I mean, you know, you had one of the biggest, most publicized issues of the off season was that Marvin Wilson, uh, you know, called out coach Norvell for uh, uh, what would at best be considered a minor miscommunication and at worst be considered a deliberate lie. I mean, so obviously the truth is somewhere in the middle of that and we're not going to relitigate that because that's already happened, but like you said, the key with it, regardless of what the actual situation was, is there was a trust issue. And you're, I, I think that, like you said, it translates into the football field. I mean, no disrespect to the, disrespect to the current, current coaching staff, but like that's not a pretty good place to start, you know, your, your basis. I mean, you have one of your star players having a disagreement publicly with your coach. I mean, and then one of a lesser player, uh, Warren Thompson with his multiple letterhead, uh, letterhead soliloquies that he put together. Uh, I mean, I think you, you bring up a good point there is that in addition to the issues that happen in just regular, you know, miscommunication and transition issues between multiple coaching staffs, this particular year did not allow them the time to build those relationships. I mean, so on top of the trust issues that were probably already there from four staffs in four years, basically for most position groups, probably I would say what of the eight position groups that we would probably count them as there's six of them have had four in four years, something like that, you know, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or at least significant changes outside of D tackle. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the only one. And I think you're, you're seeing those trust issues bleed onto the field. Like you said. Yeah. I think both of y'all are, are really hitting it. And so you're right. Juan. that was, we talked about it when it happened in the slack. I mean that regardless of whether it was a mountain out of a molehill or not, that is not good for trust that the issue with whatever happened with between Marvin and, and coach Norvell, but Adam, I really think you were starting to get to it towards the end. If, if you ask, if you're Tim, if you're asking me what, what is the cause of this Louisville game? Look, the Louisville game was, and, and quite honestly, the second half of the Georgia tech game, I'm going to lump in there as well. Both those were abject fit, like total failures, total failures. And you don't get to a place where the program, any program with that's a total failure without it being a total program responsibility for that failure. That means the administrators that thought it was a good idea to, like Adam said, to hire Willie. Uh, that means the, the fan base that constantly shoots itself in the foot 
by going on to Twitter and starting things out of nothing and making big deals out of stuff and not giving patience a thing, right? I mean, hey, fan bases and boosters are part of a program too. They're, they're the lifeblood of it. That means the players for not giving it a chance to actually try and do what they're asked to do. That means coaching staffs that are making mistakes, like whether it's a lie or whether it's a stretching of a truth or whatever that was. Um, so just total program-wide failure. That has to be the, the – it can't be any one thing because it's too big of a failure to be any one person's fault. Yeah, that's what I wanted – that's what I was going to jump in and say. Like, people want this to be a black-and-white issue. And when I say that, they want it to be, okay, it's either the coaches or it's the players. The reality is there's so much gray area in this. And it's not, it, it, we, couldn't, we couldn't begin to pinpoint one thing that's bigger than the other. It, it really is just so multi-layered uh, going back for years and years. I mean, we're talking this all started back in two, 2014 with Jimbo. Uh, that's and the administration the, that allowed Jimbo to get away with some of that stuff. Uh, absolutely. Right? I mean, that completely. fostered the culture. The culture rot that's been taking place. I mean, we're talking six years, people. Um, it just is what it is. But, I, you know, I want to add, like, Matt, Matt's talking about all these things. Like, the former players that are coming out and all they want to do is blast negativity all over the coaches. Like, Not helpful. It's not helpful at all. Like, what do you think you're trying to accomplish? Like, is it about Twitter click, Twitter clout? Is it about you've got an axe to grind because you lost because you lost uh, the ability to cover the program? Uh, is it because they won't call you back? Like you talk about being a part of the program and wanting to help, but then all you do is just bash. Like at some point, you got to look in the mirror and say, uh, maybe what I'm doing is not working. I need to try something different. What good is Antonio Cromartie doing? Yeah, I don't have an answer. I let it, I don't know. It, I mean, I, I monetize to, it so that you can, you know, I know he's got a ton of kids to feed, but <laughs> I mean, not to call one particular player out in particular, which I just did, but I mean, he's a good example. Like he's like, okay, this week it was like, all right, the UNC game, they did okay. Then the next week they're terrible. Coach Fuller needs to be fired. This is what we should do on defense. We should be allowed to contribute to the program. I mean, those guys were not helpful nor contributing in 2013. And it's not, it's not a blight against them. It's not a blight against the program. It's just not how a program is supposed to work. You don't need, for lack of a way to put it, random people coming back in and saying, hey, I think you should do this. I mean, if Antonio Cromartie had shown up in 2013 and told Jeremy Pruitt, this is how you should play defense – he would have been laughed out of Tallahassee with good reason. I thought Corey Clark said it actually really well today. I think I was, it was on seminal headlines. Um, he was talking about travel ball parents and how they, uh, you know, you go to these, these kids get involved in baseball and the travel ball parents and you got the coach and the manager selling them one thing. And then you got the parents sitting by the dugout calling pitches for, for their kid, you know, or, or telling him, you know, to do this with a swing. Like it's so counterproductive and it's, it's and then we wonder why they're freelancing because they're getting right. told 17 different things. Right. Antonio Cromartie's telling me I should do that. And I believe him because he played in the NFL and I don't really know this Yahoo that's coaching me for six weeks and, you know, a couple months while we were on zoom. So I guess yeah. I should listen to the guy that was, a, that was an all pro corner because he must know what he's talking about. You know, one of the most frustrating three hours of my life was I played golf at the Jake Gaither golf course with Antonio Cromartie's dad. 
because uh, Tony Cromartie was about to start playing a, or start doing like a tournament in Tallahassee, like a charity tournament, that sort of thing. And this was 2010, 11, something like something in there. And so his dad was like, yeah, I, don't, I need to start playing golf, learning how to play golf. And, you know, he's shouting in the back of my backswing, you know, I'm playing, I, I, I played pretty well that day for whatever reason, despite Antonio Cromartie's dad. But it was one of those things. It's like, you have players, parents, you have players, you have all these outside influences who don't do a bit of good. And you don't need that. I mean, they're not helping the current coaching staff do anything positive for the program. So I, I got to get us back on track. I, I got to get us on, <laughs> yeah, on the sorry. way home here. So I got three questions left. So Matt, I really like how you you gave us the history lesson on FSU basketball with Hamilton and and, and C. Robinson. But let me ask you this: What should the staff do to turn this program around? <laughs> Talk about being put on the spot. Uh, they should. Fine. I, I agree with who I'm not sure who said it. They should find players who, who want to play football, right? First and foremost, they should find players who are willing to, to run through a wall and play football. They should find players who fit what they're trying to do, whether that's schematically or whether that's culturally, right? Like if, if a guy thinks it's it's not cool to hit the rock or like if you bring someone on a recruitment visit and they're sort of too cool for school and stuff like that i don't want them like you need to find people who are fit for you both schematically and culturally and you then need to to be be uh be confident in what got you to this point in life as adam said i mean these these people are being paid lots of money to coach at a very prestigious football university. Uh, so they did something right in their career. You should be confident in that set a vision, uh, set what you believe is the right track and stick to it for, for the four or five year long haul. Do not let fans do not let the pressure of potentially being fired. Do not let trying to beat, you know, pit next week, try to sway you from committing to what you're going to do and get done. But, but without the players that are, that are right fit uh, and, and who want to be on the field, then, then that's not going to, it's not going to matter. Adam, I see you kind of nodding your head there. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to add? No, I just, I agree with what Matt's saying. Like I was, I was very, I was all fired up. I wanted to argue with Matt tonight. And it's just, just, I feel like he and I see very eye to eye on these things. And um, yeah, I, I you need to just be consistent. Like this program needs consistency. These coaches need consistency. These players need consistency. Like kids crave discipline and consistency. And that's just what they need. I mean, Mike, Mike knows what he wants to do. He set his standard, the whole hashtag climb nonsense. Uh, you know, everybody's got their own acronym, but he, he just needs to keep climbing. Like it's gotta be all about that. Everything, every day, every second that he's involved with these players, with the people in the organization, with the people in this building, with recruits, everything has to be about climb and it cannot waver. It cannot waver. It cannot change because once it wavers, then that's when you get cracks in that foundation and people are going to think you're lying and, and, and aren't, uh, you aren't who you've claimed to be this whole time. And that's when everything falls apart. Juan, what does a successful Florida State football program look like? Program that continues to make improvement. I mean, you know, at this at this point, at least, you know, you're not expecting this program to, you know, get to the mountain top or anything. And I think 
when when Matt was talking about it and when, when Adam was talking about it, and the one thing that I was sort of thinking is, you know, this is a pretty unique time, both in obviously the world and and obviously in 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 the college football landscape. There's a pretty significant amount of of um what's the word? Uh, inertia against you. You know, you've got to basically find a way to build past that. And like Matt said, you've got to have kids who are willing to come in despite what is obviously seems like an insurmountable mountaintop that you're trying to get to. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. And I mean, one example of someone who's done a good job with that is, and like, please ignore the backside of this analogy, but like, James Franklin came into Penn State and he had a very rough background to play against, obviously. And he was able to get in kids. He took his time. And I think he's on year six, seven now. And they're winning 10, 11 games in the big, in the big 10. And, you know, I mean, to, to what Matt's saying is, you know, you have to get guys who are able to buy into your program, to buy into what you believe in and the sort of, the sort of football you're trying to play and they're not, you know, going to go freelance and they're not going to disagree with what you're doing. They're buying in and they're doing what you want to do. Matt, for you, for Florida state to be considered successful, is there a win total? You feel like they need to be meeting consistently for, for this year or just in, in general in, in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I am one of those that I, I lived through the nineties and late eighties. And, and I, I don't, people like to say the 10 win thing. Well, the thing is, is we were only playing 11 regular season games back then, 11 games in a bowl game. So going 10 and one or, you know, that, that would be like expecting 13 wins now. And I, I do not believe that really any program for any length of time should expect 12, 13 wins a year. And, and if you are, then you're just setting yourself up. You're, you're walking into the movie theater, hoping, thinking you're going to see the best movie of all time when it may only be like the 20th best of all time. Um, I do think, though, that what maybe instead of a win total, I think that they need to be competing every, every recruiting class should play in it, you know, at least one ACC championship game, right? Or maybe two. And I know that we have Clemson in our division. Who knows if we're even going to have divisions after, uh, after the COVID and all that stuff. But if you go three years, let's say, without uh, playing for an ACC title, that's probably not living up to what I would consider a success at, at Florida State uh, football. Kind of put you on the spot again here. How, how long do you think – it's going to take Florida state to get to that level that you'd like to see sustainably. Yeah. Middle part of this decade, 2025, (laughs) maybe like sustainably. I think that we could potentially have a year in 2023 when maybe the stars align and you know, it actually works out, but that doesn't mean that then the next year you're able to kind of sustain that. Uh, If to go back to the basketball history analogy, Leonard Hamilton was able to get a, a set of guys, a Tony Douglas, a Chris Singleton, a Mike Snare, who you talk about a guy that like believes in your program, believes in what you're trying to do, believes in doing it right on the court. Right. Um, 
and they were able to get to that ACC championship, but the program itself was not to a sustainable point yet where that level or even NCAA tournament level could be sustained. And you saw an immediate dip back down to where people were actually saying like, I don't know, was that a fluke? Should he be fired? Now it feels a little different. Like, okay, well, as long as he's here, it does feel like we're going to win 19, 20, 21 games and at a bare minimum be in contention for the NCAA tournament and maybe more. Uh, That took a long time, and I think it should take less time in football because we have more resources. But to, like, sustainably reload at play for ACC championship level, man, 2025 at the earliest maybe? (laughs) Adam, Adam, let me kind of pose that same question to you. Like, what in your mind is the measuring stick of a successful Florida State program? It just has got to be about growth. I mean, whatever growth is going to look like for you, I guess. Um, For for me, success is just going to be continuing to build game by game off of one off of each other. Uh, And not only even mean this year, I'm talking like next year as we get going here. you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I, I said I thought that I wanted to see him put a half together. Like that's next against Pitt. I want to see him put a half together again, like where they play as a as a team. They were they all offense, defense, and special teams all kind of work together. Like, um, but next year I want to see that consistently. You know what I mean? Like, I, it might be uh, half the first game, and then the next game it might be three three quarters, and then you know, going into week three or week four, you're talking about putting a whole game together. And I'm not saying wins or losses, but I'm just talking about the effort. I'm talking about the the discipline. Those those things that we need to start seeing as growth. Um, moving forward and then and then once you do that after year one year you know year two then you start talking about okay the wins um i've always felt like we're not going to know anything about mike norvell until he can get to be in a nine win guy um and he may never get there i mean it just is what it is with as weird as his tenure is but when he can get to be in a nine win guy then we're going to know whether he can recruit at the level to take florida state to the next that next phase, that Clemson, that Alabama phase where they're landing those five-star guys and able to start competing uh, athletically and physically on the field night in and night out um, with those championship caliber teams. So I, I just want to see growth uh, in those those little things like penalties and discipline and lining up. I just want to see growth there first, and then we'll, then we'll see. I've got a question just – uh, curious because I don't even know if it's been asked in the Slack channel, but if you had to predict right now, you know, what win shares for like how many wins do you think Florida, Florida state? What if I said over under four wins this year? Uh, I'm calling, can I say push? Sure. I think they've got, I think they got two more in them this year. Uh, I think they, I think they beat, I think they're going to beat Pitt. I think they're going to come back and beat Pitt. And then I think they beat Duke. That's uh I mean, that's if Pickett's the quarterback there, right? At, at Pitt, I, I don't. I don't think it's. Do they play Duke at home? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I have a take for that. I, I don't think. I don't think you're going to see this team win on the road. They're not. They're not built to travel and win games. Um, or no, uh, maybe Duke's on the road. I, I, we should. Well, they're not. That guy? Sure as hell not beating Clemson. So well, yeah, I, I think they find a way to win two more games. I do. Duke is. I mean, Duke, I know Florida State's been brutal you know and everybody's got the fresh louisville loss in their minds but uh, i do think i do think they're going to find a way to beat pitt because i think 
I think they play as a different program at home. Like I said it earlier in our Slack chat, but like that 12 o'clock kick for them was a nightmare. They're, they're not built for that. They're, they're just not there as a program to go line up somewhere else at 12 o'clock and try to win a game. Cause it takes a certain, it takes a, a testicular fortitude. That this team just doesn't have. <laughs> they're uh, they're at Duke, by the way. No, oh, they're going to, they're going to win at Duke. That's going to be their one road win. Juan curious four wins over under. Uh, oof. if you had said three and a half or four and a half, it'd probably be a lot easier to do. Um, I, I mean, you're on the push train. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to just straight up copy Adam here, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's correct. And I think, and I'm going to go a little bit past what he's saying is I think one of the biggest issues this year, and I think you're seeing it across the country, across the sec, across the big 12 teams are not playing well on the road this year. Um, and I don't know what it has to do in terms of maybe, you know, COVID protocol makes things feel a little different going on the road or, you know, things are magnified in that respect on the road. Like it's, 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 it's weird. Like you would expect that given empty stadiums, like let's say, for example, you go to play at LSU, for example, you would not expect to go there and, you know, think, you know, that, that, that's a road game. You don't want to play. And it's just been it's it's been a weird year across college football where you don't see teams do well on the road at all. I mean, across different conferences, across different programs, good programs, bad programs, you're not seeing a lot of that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think Florida State's going to do well on the road just because it's something we're seeing, and I, I don't see where Florida State's doing anything different that's going to change that. So. I'll be that guy. I'll be the homer. I'll say we'll win five. We can, we can, I say we can beat Duke or, or that Florida state can beat Duke. I think Florida state can beat NC state. Um, I will say this. A, a toss uh, up between Pitt and Virginia. One of those games. I will say this. Um, I think Florida state is going to play football games. Thank you, Juan. I, I'm with you Perfect. there, Tim, with five. I think I, I think I'm at five as well. I'll say, I'll say, win against UVA, win against Duke, and they'll split. Uh, they'll split Pitt and I don't know who they're going to beat, but they'll split Pitt and NC State. If if Pickett doesn't play for Pitt, that be, that game becomes a lot more winnable. And Hawkman doesn't impress me at NC State, and right. I feel like all of Duke's players just like quit or opted out or declared for the NFL or something. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm going to follow up on that, like. It's this is just a very weird schedule year. Like normally we should be saying, okay, sure. Wake sucks. Uh Q sucks. I mean, we should be awful. yeah, yeah. I mean, Q's is, you know, Florida State's playing pretty bad football right now. Uh, you know, they have a great game against North Carolina and and Notre Dame, but in the second half, I mean Notre Dame, but like you don't have your regular opponents that you'd normally say like, okay, yeah, we got Wake Forest on the schedule. Great. Okay. Well, we're going to replace that with, I mean, teams that are not as bad. So it's, you know, it's not, not as easy a schedule as one would hope. I mean, if we had had the Atlantic schedule plus one, plus two, whatever, how you want to call it, it'd be probably an extra half win over what we're predicting here. Let me put it this way. I would be confident on the over four if we were playing Atlantic plus two. Well, Matt, I, I want to appreciate or say I appreciate you stealing my last question there on, on who we think we're going to win. 
Sorry. No, no, it's all good. Uh, I, I really appreciate you all jumping on. I, I, you know, we went, you know, like an hour and 20 minutes. We'll have to split this into two probably. So appreciate you giving up the nights. Matt, I, I thoroughly enjoyed your, your description of the Florida State basketball program and almost how it is a very eerily similar parallel to where Florida State's football program is right now. So it gives me some hope. Uh, I, it's going to be a few rough years, though. So, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Juan, as always, thanks for being here every week. And, Adam, I, I know you want to talk about triple option real quick because you guys got a special episode coming up. But I do want to say, Adam, I love your insight, and thanks so much for being on here with us tonight. Yeah, absolutely, all the time. Yeah, triple option this weekend. We're going to do a little mailbag action. Uh, Kev, Trey, and me, maybe a special guest. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see if that plays out or not. But, um yeah, I mean, we're we're just trying to figure this all out just like everybody else and just try to offer a little bit of insight that we can, you know, weekly. Adam, where can they drop you guys some questions? Uh, so Perry put it out on the message board and then the triple option. Uh, Trey started a Twitter. Yeah, he's going to he's going to put some stuff out on there. Uh, fans can look that up. It's uh, I think it's at the triple option or it might be at the triple option FSU. Um, yeah. So, and then also on X's and no X's and Knowles, uh, YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, Matt, one last question. How excited are you for FSU's basketball team this year? <laughs> I'm excited. I, I hope they get all the games in. I don't know. You keep reading all this stuff about everything. I, I don't even want to get into it. I hope they get, I go, if they get to play, uh, but I'm excited. I think that it's going to be, this is where you were trying to get the football back to be right. It's probably going to be a little step down maybe, but still that sustainable, Hey, that's a really good team. And then just coming in the next year with reloading and right back up to, you know, championship type of team. So uh, it's exciting. And uh, we'll Rogner and I are going to, you know, continue having a lot of podcasts there and hey maybe we can even get um some of y'all to come on and, and and provide some color commentary there i'll be happy to join again when we get to five wins on the football season and come back and and say uh we, we were right tim yeah that's right matt we'll do an i told you so episode yeah yeah Five. it's like the, the frank beamer with zero zero five wins. <laughs> wins oh well for evan johnson for adam whoa, brown whoa, 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 oh one why? So before we go, before why, we go, why, why? and so we always have, and and normally it's just Tim and I, maybe Perry with us every now and then, uh, we do a segment called of the week, and it's a randomly decided thing of the week that that basically I pick off the top of my head of like, okay, let's say, for example, this is your favorite beverage of the week. Uh, and so this week, since we have our special guest, Matt, who is a Florida State encyclopedia, what I'm going to throw out to you guys, what is your favorite non-football Florida State moment of the week? I'm going to start. Of the week? I mean. Of the week. That, is no, the, no, no, no. That's the, of, of the, the week, week is, is the general. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adam, I mean, now you know why I try to like skip past this. Uh, I was like, what else happened this week? <laughs> just, just, so it's, it, it's the just, of the week that didn't happen this week, but. Jesse Warren in the softball title, that diving oh. catch from third base. That was amazing. Yeah, that was That's incredible. beautiful. That's a great example. So we're going to go with Tim next because I know that Matt's going to have some good ones. Uh, Marshall McDougal hitting six bombs for Florida State in a baseball game. 
that is a, that's a really good one. I remember I think hearing about that on the radio or something and, yeah. and thinking like, what? That's a mistake. Um, uh, this is going to feel like prisoner of the moment, I, I, but, um, that the Pat Williams dunk against Louisville last year, just, I mean, if you were in the tuck, honestly, I was a little concerned for the structural integrity of the Tucker center at that moment, <laughs> uh, with, with just the explosion and every, I mean, even the media and the NBA, uh, the scouts that were there were just sort of had that moment of like, Whoa, um, I'll give an honorable mention to Mike Snares buzzer beater up in Cameron back in uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, 2012. Uh, I was actually thinking about going with Divide Stolkis against UNC a couple of years ago, but uh, the one that I'm going to go with is actually going to be baseball related. And uh, our, our baseball guy, Brett Nevin, is going to kill me because I don't remember the exact year. It was either 2011 or 2012. James Ramsey, uh, we, we went to Supers and it was just it was it was an exciting time it was like the first time we'd been to Omaha in three or four years and there's a there's a great and you got to find it on youtube if you can of uh you know florida state going back to omaha and james ramsey's in the locker room and just fired up and just like we're going back and you know uh, i think it was it was uh, delf delf ordered his steak well done at some steakhouse and mike martin goes up to him and goes you don't order your steak well done and just like the the whole locker goes nuts and so that was that's my Florida State non-football moment of the week all right now for Evan Johnson for Adam Brown for Matt Minnick for Juan Montalvo for Tomahawk Nation this has been the Seminole Wrap thanks for joining us we look forward to talking to you again next week and as always Juan that's a wrap Thank you.